this week on A Lively Experiment, Sabina Matos continues to be the focal point of the CD1 race, but not for the reason she was hoping for. And meet the winner of this year's Rhode Island PBS Scholarship. A Lively Experiment is generously underwritten by... Hi, I'm John Hazen White Jr. For over 30 years, A Lively Experiment has provided insight and analysis of the political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm a proud supporter of this great program in Rhode Island PBS. Joining us for the analysis, Sue Sienke, National Committee Woman for the Rhode Island Republican Party, attorney and legal analyst Lou Polner, and political contributor Jim Vincent. Welcome to this week's Lively. I'm Jim Hummel. Sabina Matos suffered some friendly fire from a congressman she brought in to campaign for her in the CD1 race. New York Representative Adriano Espelot got into a testy exchange with reporters after a Board of Elections meeting on Tuesday, calling Matos a victim of her own signature scandal. If you haven't seen the exchange, here's a portion of the video from NBC10. The first question comes from the station's political reporter, Brian Crandall. The second exchange is with Kate Nagel, the news editor from Go Local Prov. Do you think you're a victim of discrimination? I believe I've been um, beat up for three, almost four weeks. And honestly, for something that turned out to be nothing, I think there should have been a little bit more of fairness on how I've been treated through this process. When you say nothing, there are there's names of dead people on some of the forms and people who say they didn't sign. So with all due respect, it's not nothing. And I think you've but, acknowledged that. But we already have someone that admitted that the person lied to uh, my campaign, lied to me. So that was already established. So I don't understand why we needed to go through this um, process. Don't victimize. No, 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 no. no. We're sir? not going to allow. I don't know sir? who you are, but sir? we're not going to allow you to victimize the victim. Sir? Okay. Sir, no, she's been fully vetted. She's a, a decent woman. We we this trust her. Me, we're here. We're here. here to support You're her. Here in our no, no. We're, we're here to support her. We're here to support her. And, and now, and now that she that the board of elections said that there's nothing there, she's gonna proceed with her campaign, and we're not gonna engage in a conversation where she's gonna be victimized again. Lieutenant Governor, as a woman, do you appreciate being interrupted by a man when I have a job to do? I was asking you for a question. You're doing your job as a reporter, and you're being inter you're getting interrupted often as a reporter. That's happened to all the reporters. That's correct. You can ask you you can ask your colleagues here. Congressman Espelot was in town to uh, stump for Sabina Matos. Of course, he is the first Dominican uh, representative. Jim, what do you make of this interchange, and and what, specifically what he said about uh, Sabina Matos being singled out because she's a woman of color? Well, I mean. Obviously, he must be following it a little bit for him to make those kinds of pronouncements because those are some serious allegations. I do know that uh, over the last three or four weeks, it does seem like it, it's been kind of overdone in terms of what's going on. I mean, certainly signatures are important, of course, and forgeries and dead people, of course, has to be dealt with. However, does it have to be something that is talked about every day, all day, for three weeks, four weeks? That might be a little bit much. So I think out of frustration, um, Perhaps um, there might be some people that might be coming to some other conclusions in terms of why that is. So I'm not here to say what I think it is, 
But I do know that it does seem to be excessive in terms of the coverage about these signatures, given everything else that's happening in the world. Um, I think that she has, I think the last count is either 726 or 730 good signatures, if you believe the Board of Elections or the local canvassers. So I think that's not an issue. She's on the ballot. Uh, she's going to uh, be, uh, you know, there uh, on September 5th. So I think that it's something that has to be looked at in terms of the long run, because obviously there were some problems with the Board of Election. So and I know the Attorney General is investigating, so maybe we can uh, wait uh, for the Attorney General's uh, investigation to conclude, and then maybe the Board of Election can then take a look at it then. I don't think that uh, doing it after the primary even is appropriate. I think it should be looked at after uh, the general election or even after the Attorney General. Some of the Leobor. But, when, when you have to do that afterwards. But also, but also 43% of her signatures were, it wasn't 10%, it wasn't 20%, it was 43% were deemed not legitimate. Right. I think that there are a lot of missteps in her campaign so far. If she had come out initially and said, I hired someone to help us get signatures, that person did not do what I expected them to do, which was to check to make sure everybody that signed the signatures was a registered valid uh, voter. And we applaud the Board of Elections for stopping this. We want to make sure that everybody believes that we have fair and accurate elections. But she didn't come out and say that. She didn't take responsibility and accountability for that. And that's like blood in the water for reporters, that they want to go after somebody like that. And for her not to know the process, the reason why that they looked at her uh, signatures was because somebody else complained about it. That's how the process works. When somebody else you know, files a complaint with the BOE, that's when the process starts. And they found things. And 43% is a pretty high uh, number to get thrown out. Um, you know, we always tell our candidates, you know, on the Republican side, make sure you get double because some of them are going to get thrown out. And it could be as innocent as somebody not living in the district and signing the paper or somebody has moved and their signature gets thrown out. Um, but of course, we all know that the signature verifications, it's subjective. You know, when you look at the process, they're subjective. Who gets thrown out and who doesn't? But I think her biggest mistake was not coming out right away and saying, hey. And taking full responsibility Taking for accountability it. for it. I think she's a victim of some bad hiring, no question. But this congressman from New York did her no favors. And he accuses Rhode Island of treating her in a certain way because we're racist and sexist. I mean, her campaign went from bad to worse. And I think that was, again, he did her no favors. And she, and I agree with Sue, she can't get out of her own way right now. Well, two things. One, when the Board of Election, when they talked about 43%, they didn't seem that they didn't seem to think that was unusual that there had been other people that had 43% or even more thrown out. Oh, I'm not the, sure about that. Well, I think that, I think there was a question to somebody, and they did say that that doesn't seem to be high or low. And also, I don't think that the congressman was calling Rhode Island racist. I think he was saying that the media had treated her unfairly, and he thought that that perhaps was because of her race. He, you know, he specifically said this is happening because she's a woman of color. Yeah, that right. has happened, and that's happened but, but here. I, I don't think he's indicting the whole state. I think he's indicting the media. Oh, oh, well, this, that, that's the state of Rhode Island, though. Well, I think it was a pretty broad brush that he, that he painted. You've got to wonder who, look, I think the thought was, he, uh, Dominican congressman, she's Dominican, this is great, we'll come in, you know, we need more. And obviously, we need more diversity in Congress, but to have somebody come in, she clearly wasn't going to script it. 
what was happening. But that, I think even if you think that is the source of it, Rhode Islanders are going to automatically become defensive about, hey, who are you to come in and talk to us yeah. like that? Right? Who are you from New York telling us, you know, how we behave, what we do here? I think people got insulted with his thing. So you have to be careful when you bring somebody in to stump for you. Who is this person? Because as it turns out, he had issues in New York with signature gathering. So you brought somebody in who had the same type of problem. Um, how was he going to react to the to the media, to the people here? It's, but then again, you know, there are so many people in this race. You don't need that many people to win that primary. Is it going to hurt her? She still has name recognition. You know, I believe it's still a race between her and Aaron Rugenberg. Um, you know, so we'll see what happens. You don't need that many people. It is going to be a ground game. Who goes out and gets those mail ballots? Who goes and gets early voting? And who has their people show up on it's election such day? such a boring race. And it I really, agree. really is. It's like eating saltines with, the, with dry mouth. And <laughs> she's going to be judged on what she's done in the past and what she says she's going to do in the, in the future in terms of, you know, gun, gun control and uh, uh, choice and uh, entitlements as well as fighting the, excuse me, the MAGA Republicans, which is a democracy as far as some people. She's going to be judged on that, and she's going to be judged on whether or not she has the, the ground gain or whatever. So I think that um, uh, the impacts in terms of uh, her being beat up or whatever is going to be minimal. It, it's interesting, minimal. Lou, that in, in a normal race, you know, like the governor's race or we had last year with uh, with Fung and Magaziner, you start to go negative because it's it's one candidate. You have precious resources. And so if you if you are going to go negative, and I think this is why you haven't seen this, is that you're going to spend, let's say you're Gabe Amo or Don Carlson or whoever, Sandra Cano, maybe you're going to take down uh, Sabina Montos or Ern Regenberg. Well, then who's the one you're going to turn to? It's not. So that's why I think we've seen kind of get to know me advertising, but I agree that's with what, you. It's been pretty blah. Yeah, well, that's what the Republicans are doing in Iowa. I mean, nobody really wants to dump all over Trump, but they're doing it in a nuanced way. It's, But, yeah, back to the race, it, it's boring as hell. The ads, are, the, ads, the ads are almost the same ads. Um, yeah. Know, the same talking points. I mean, um, every ad has mentioned MAGA Republicans. Every yeah. single ad. I think and those I think are consultants, a, right? Yeah, and I think it's the consultants are saying this is this is the way you uh, operate. But when you get elected, you have to represent everybody. Right. Your constituents are a broad broad spectrum of the the electorate in Rhode Island, and you're insulting almost 41 percent of the electorate. Biden um, forgot that too because yeah. he's insulting almost every day 74 million. Americans who voted, who voted against Trump. Yeah. You, can't, you can't do that. You have to say, this is what I stand for. These are the policies that I stand for. We have significant issues in Rhode Island that people are ignoring. We have significant issues in the country that people are ignoring. What do you expect to bring to the table when you get there? Well, I think that's why they lead off with, uh, you know, uh, gun control and being pro-choice and talking about entitlements. I think those are the issues that they've the, the most of the Democratic candidates or all of the Democratic candidates have focused on. Uh, that uh, MAGA Republican thing has just been dropped into their ads, but I think their focus, in terms of most of their ads, have been on issues. And I do think that um, that's what's going to carry the day, their positions on issues, but I, which but affects I also, everybody. There's, there's, no, there's no degree of separation, though, because I listen to Bill Bartholomew's podcast. We have uh, the Globes having a, um, a debate. Uh, the Journal of Rhode Island, PBS and Rhode Island Public Radio, and then uh, 10 and 12 will all do that. 
I listened. What is going to separate them? Do you hear any much Nothing. difference? You know, there's absolutely no difference. And now, is this the only difference that she got, you know, dead people to sign her list? And then Aaron Rugenberg has Hanoi Jane, which right. I think Jim and I, I talked about. Anybody under the age of maybe 45. I have no idea what that is. The majority is. of those yeah. candidates kind of like running against her, I never heard of Hanoi. Yeah. They don't know what you're yeah. talking about. They don't know what you're talking about. So was that a, a misstep on his part? I don't know. Maybe it's the PAC that's fundraising for him that, you know, he says, let's not use dark money, and then he's using it, the hypocrisy of his campaign. But other than the issue, there, are, there is no difference between any of them. So it goes back to the ground game, who can get their voters out to the poll. Yeah. And, and you um, know that from running a party, it's, it's uh, boots on the ground. It is boots that's on right. the ground. Right. You know, get to know the candidate. And quite frankly, it's name recognition. And right. that's why I say Matos and Ruggenberg right now have a lot of name recognition. Final thought? I would agree. I would agree that name recognition is very important in boots on the ground. So I would agree that uh, as far as that, uh, both uh, uh, Aaron Regenberg and Sabina Matos probably are the, the front runners. Right. Okay. But what has she done as lieutenant governor? I mean, it, well, well, again, did, it is a role that I'm not even but, but sure that's she a whole exists. Other, that's a yeah. whole she, was, she was president city council for a number of years before that. So right. I think we have to be fair about that. Yeah. Well, that's a whole other discussion. Yeah. All right. President Trump faced his fourth uh, indictment in Georgia this week. It has a little bit more of a nuance than some of the federal charges. We're taping on a Thursday. We understand that Mark Meadows, his chief of staff, and uh, President Trump are going to be asking this move to federal court. Uh, Lou, let me start with the uh, practicing attorney here. At first blush, when you saw this, well, let, give me your give me your uh, thought about the indictment in Georgia. Forty-one counts, eighteen co-defendants, and it's RICO, uh, racketeer-influenced and corrupt organizations. That's a mandatory five-year jail sentence if convicted, and. I'm not saying that he will be convicted, but there's a lot of stuff that smells about some of the things he did post-election in 2020. Uh, I thought what I did think was tr problematic is the fact that she's had, and by her I mean Vani Willis, the uh, district attorney there in, uh, in, in Georgia, she's had since January of 2020 to bring these charges. And all of a sudden, she's hustling in witnesses and keeping the courthouse open until God knows eight, nine o'clock at night to get an indictment on a particular day. Mm. I think it's piling on. I think that does reek of politics. And I think at some point, it's going to backfire. But again, it's very, very dangerous because we all know the facts how he made the phone calls. He's looking for 11,780 votes, kind of threatening the election supervisor. I, I, I think he's got some trouble there, but not as much trouble as he does with Mar-a-Lago and hiding the uh, documents. But legally, from a prosecutor's standpoint, more difficult because you have multiple uh, defendants, or does that make it easier because then they all start to go turn on each well, other? That's what the hope for her was, because you can't try 18 people with their legal teams right. in a courtroom. You'd have to do it at the, uh, the convention Superdome, center. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So I think, yes, I think there will be uh, someone churning and cooperating. And once that happens, it'll be easy to get a conviction. Well, I think that five-year mandatory, I think, is keeping him up late at night. Mm -hmm. And I think that, that uh, him uh, talking about, all I need is 11,780 votes. Give me a break. So this is one, just one more that I need. I think it's going to come back to haunt him. I think that um, he's in big trouble with this. I think that the fact that it's uh, going to be televised, 
If it is going to be in Georgia, that's going to be that's going to be uh, problematic for him because I think he doesn't want the publicity that way. I think the fact that there are only two governors that can't pardon you in the United States, and one of them is the Georgia governor, so he's not going to be able to get pardoned anyway because it's not it's not a federal case. But I th I do think that there's a lot of trappings of uh, of problems for him. He, uh, Rudy Giuliani, Mr. Rico himself, you know, the would be president who's now the uh, the widespread. Uh, uh, embarrassment is probably thinking about what, how he can stay out of jail, and I just think there's a lot of problems there for Mr. Yeah. Trump. I think the RICO charge is ridiculous. It is a typical uh, uh, move by a prosecutor to throw spaghetti against the wall to see what sticks. Um, I think that's absolutely ridiculous. In terms of all the indictments that he has, I think the only one that is problematic is probably the one down in Florida with Mar-a-Lago. You know, when the feds ask you if you have classified documents and you say no and they find out you do, that could be problematic. Um, this, I just think, is ridiculous. What do you think from a... Go ahead, Zola. I was going to say, that goes back to the age-old, it's not the crime itself, it's the, the cover-up. Cover yeah. And yep. he kept moving the boxes around. It was like... It, it, that's right, that's the problematic one. This one, I just think, is ridiculous. It is after the New York, you know, it seems as if the prosecutor down in Georgia said, you know, I want to get my name in highlights instead of really looking at the case and saying, does this make sense? Does it not make sense? And, and to bring in some of the lawyers for making comments, I'm not sure. Um, it's a valid case. That does not mean that I don't think he could get convicted. Yeah, but then it gets turned down on appeal. Um, it is yeah, a big problem. The, yeah, it's a big well, problem well, for him. I, I think, of, I think uh, she went the right way in terms of what she thought she needed to do to get this conviction. Uh, and, and because there's, there's so many people involved, I think she thought that that would make it easier. And, and the American people, you know, Quinnia, uh, Quinnipiac. Yeah, Quinnipiac came out with a uh, uh, poll just yesterday. 57% of the American people think he should be found guilty of a federal charge. They, they think he's guilty uh, already. But of a federal charge, right. right. And, uh, and the one down right. in Mar-a-Lago is a federal charge. And, and the other prosecutors in New York actually took a step back when Jack Smith came out. You know, it... Elections are state-run, but this was a federal election. This was for a federal office. So everybody else took a step back, and she stepped up in Georgia. Lou, Lou what about if you're trying to move it to federal court? This is so. Let's say, let's play that out. They want to move it to federal court. Some people don't want to move it to federal court because of, for a variety of reasons. Well, I you think. want to watch it on TV. And you well, can't well, do that in federal ex court. Exactly. You can do it in state court. But if you move it to federal court then does, who tries the case? It's really her investigators and prosecutors have looked into it. But she does it moved. get transferred to a federal prosecutor? It would have yeah. to. And then they'd have to get up to speed on all of the, yeah. But you know what, she really did slap this together at the last minute. And I think that's the part that's embarrassing for her. Uh, again, she, And reeks of politics. And that's, we'll get to the two-tiered uh, judicial system maybe a little bit later in the show. Let me just ask you quickly about the political ramifications, because every time President Trump gets indicted, the base, you know, responds, big fundraising. I wonder, though, how that continues into November, December, January, February as we head toward the caucuses. I know it's a crystal ball question. Does he continue to ride that, or does the reality of what's happening begin to say, do we really want this guy as our nominee? Yeah, it's, you know, I always say in politics, 
November 2024 is a long time away. We don't know what's going to happen. Certainly, there's a, a certain amount of base that are going to ride or die President Trump. They feel like he has been treated unfairly, that there have been instances as as far back as 2016 with Hillary Clinton saying he wasn't a legitimate president. In 2018, Kamala Harris said, you know, elections should be one day. They, we shouldn't use the uh, electronic election system. So people look at that and say, why are you treating him unfairly? I think sometimes he shoots himself in his own foot and makes mistakes that are unforced errors. But um, we'll have to wait and see to see what happens. I don't necessarily believe in the polls. I think that people are being a little reactive to, you know, this piling on of indictments. But we'll see what happens. But you're happens. right. We have a year and a half We have left. a year and a half, and you just never know. You but think, he may be in court for that whole year. Yeah, yeah. and, and that's, that's the thing. He is being... Um, distracted in a way, that he's got to take care of these legal issues. So how can you run an effective presidential campaign when, you know, you don't have the boots on the ground, you're not building your infrastructure that you need? It's a media campaign. To, yeah, it's, it's a media Last campaign. Last thought. Yeah, at some point, you know, I mean, the, the public feels that even though they might think it's political, they think he's guilty in all four cases. And I think that he's not going to be able to win any kind of general election. He better hope for a third-party candidate because... He is going to be the nominee, I think, regardless. I don't think he's dropping out. I don't think anybody's going to come in at the last minute to knock him off. Uh, Governor, Governor De Sanctimonious is not going to be the person. So he's going to be the nominee. And unless there's a third-party candidate, uh, there might be a bigger... Are you adopting Trump nicknames now? Is that your, is that your <laughs> Well, I, I, you know, he's uh, earned it you know, in Florida. But I just think that, you know, in terms of the general election, if it's one-on-one -on -one against Biden, it could be a bigger Biden win than it was in 2020. Just... Last, did you want to say something? Or you were, no, no, okay. I, I don't right. disagree with that. Yeah. I, I, I don't disagree. We have harmony. Um, right. The Supreme Court, uh, as you know, uh, ruled, uh, struck down affirmative action in college admissions. This was based on a case brought um, involving Harvard and the University of North Carolina. Lou, let's go back to you. Um, I'm wondering how college, practically how this gets enforced. And then it goes to legacy admissions. It go. I mean, I can imagine if you're an admissions department right now, you're trying to figure out what are we going to do for next year's class? Enforcement's going to be nearly impossible. It just is. And the Biden administration doesn't like taking no for an answer from the Supreme Court. You know, uh, on the student loans, on the student loans, it was going to be a half a trillion dollars. And now they shot him down on that. So now he's trying again for thirty nine billion dollars in, in student debt relief. Uh, the federal government, through the Biden administration, has already sent out certain policy guidelines about workarounds, workarounds being that the guidance counselor can send letters talking about how this uh, African-American in a largely white school overcame and joined these teams and did this and that and showed resilience. You can write on your essays as being the only Latino in a predominantly white school, I was able to join and win on the debate team. Nod, nod, and, wink, wink. Exactly. So there are going to be workarounds, and, and enforcement is, is going to be darn near impossible. Oh, I absolutely agree. How are you going to enforce this? And there are ways. You're going to have to go it. and look at every college yeah, and there, every. There yeah. are absolutely ways. I mean, colleges already do this to a certain extent. They look geographically. You know, I want somebody 
from the inner city. And why wouldn't you want that yeah. in, as in your student body, right? Yeah, you want a diversity of opinions. You want a diversity of population. I mean, if this is supposed to be a learning center, a university, um, you want to have a broad spectrum of opinions. Once again, the Supreme Court has shot themselves in the foot by overturning precedent. We saw what they did with Roe versus Wade last year. Now this year, it's affirmative action. So they continue. And that's been 50, 40, 50 years, right? 50, affirmative action? 50 years, exactly. So again, they, well, 54 years since 1968. Mm. So again, they uh, prove why they deserve the lowest approval ratings in the history of the Supreme Court by doing the wrong thing once again. I'm a beneficiary of affirmative action, and I know the importance of that program and how well it has worked over the last 50 years. That doesn't make it constitutionally correct, though. Like Roe versus Wade, that court back in 72 said it's okay to kill a fetus or, or a living child. Where in the Constitution did that come from? Where in the Constitution does it say that you can reverse discrimination? Qu quickly, we're running out of time. I'm look, sorry. Look, at as far as I'm concerned, look, at they use affirmative action in terms of legacy. They use affirmative action in terms of getting foreign students, getting people in the band or whatever. This is one of many factors. It is not a quota system. So I don't think that this constitutional thing really matters in this case because they've been doing it. All right. I wish we could continue this, but uh, unfortunately we are out of time. It's a quick show. Lou and Jim and Sue will continue this afterwards. Off. I, Lou really wants to go at this, so maybe we'll do this after the show. Um, Finally, we have a special segment, which is why we're ending a little early, and that'll end this week's program. Isabella Ba is the winner of this year's Rhode Island PBS scholarship awarded to a high school or college student pursuing a career in broadcasting, communications, or journalism. Isabella, the sixth winner we've had, is a graduate of Cranston East and begins her freshman year later this month at Rhode Island College. I had a chance to speak with her last week. And we are back with Isabella. Welcome to Rhode Island PBS. It's good to have you here. So you're going to be a freshman at Rick in the fall. Yes. And so why Rick and why you're interested in going into broadcasting? Tell me why. Um, well, when I was touring Rick, um, I really liked the homey feel of it. It reminds me of my high school, which I have a really deep connection with. And as to going into communications and broadcasting, I did the morning announcements at my school and I really enjoyed it. That's good. Yeah, all the newest stuff. Um, so this is a very wide field, and as you know, it's changing. I wonder, you know, college, so much of college is kind of figuring out what you want to do. Do you have a, a game plan in your mind, or are you going to, when you get to college, you're going to figure out, well, maybe I'll go this path or this path? What do you think? Um, I think for me, it's always just been joining extracurriculars, and that's what's helped me figure out what I like, being hands-on with a lot of the stuff, like doing the morning announcements, like I said. But um, I think once I go into college, just joining extracurriculars like Anchor TV, um, maybe the new station at Rick, that would help me kind of figure out what I want to do and what I want to maybe possibly be in the future. You have an impressive resume. Not only uh, not only senior class president, National Honor Society, I'm embarrassing you, I know, uh, captain of the tennis team and doing the announcements. So much of high school and college is time management. How do you, how do you get all of that in in a day? I honestly don't know. I mean, like, you know, if if you really love something, then you'll figure out how to make time, especially when it comes to managing how you want to, how much time you want to put into all of your extracurriculars. I mean, for me, it was mostly the things just worked out, you know? Like I joined a club and then I just talked to people and then we kind of figured it out along the way and 
That's how it all What about uh, this industry, communications and broadcasting? It's changed a lot. What is it that, that interests you and makes you want to go into it? I think for me, being involved and meeting like a lot of people just kind of helped me become more interested in communications. I think communications is all about connecting with people and getting to know people. And I feel like I'd be exposed to a lot of people. Do you feel as you as you watch the news, is that something you think, hey, I could be out there doing that? Definitely. I mean, I love being in front of crowds. I have a background in theater. I mean, I've done a lot of speeches and I really like getting reactions from people, being in front of live audiences. It makes me happy and it feels just like me. Um, college is a daunting uh, task financially for a lot of people. This is a lot of money over four years. What does that mean to you? What will that allow you to do? For me, it just means freedom and to be able to focus on my studies and not have to worry about, you know, how am I going to balance two jobs with a busy schedule, especially being a college athlete and playing tennis. And I think for me, it means a lot because people believe in me and they believe that I'm going to be going off to achieve big things. Great. Well, we certainly believe in you and congratulations. We look forward to great things from you. Thank you so much. All right, folks, we, uh, we will be back next week. We hope you can join us as the Lively Experiment continues. A Lively Experiment is generously underwritten by... Hi, I'm John Hazen White, Jr. For over 30 years, A Lively Experiment has provided insight and analysis of the political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm a proud supporter of this great program and Rhode Island PBS.